Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach. I often talk about how we hope this radio show meets a need for sharing of resources and collaboration between people and organizations with the goal of making our city a more caring and compassionate place to live and work. But we also talk about how we need to discuss the problems or the challenges that our city experiences in an effort to get them out in the open so we can create solutions that will contribute to that goal of a more caring and compassionate city. So today we're going to address some of the challenges that Milwaukee faces with regard to safe neighborhoods. Do you ever get frustrated or saddened when you hear on the news or read in the paper how law enforcement is really struggling to protect people in some of these large cities across the country where the goal is to incite violence? Our guests today include a nonprofit that is enriching and empowering vulnerable populations to affect change, person by person, neighborhood by neighborhood. We'll look at ways to unite our community by bringing together residents, youth, law enforcement, and community partners to build safe and empowered neighborhoods. And then we'll hear about a nonprofit that's empowering their clients by offering opportunities to reclaim their lives and ultimately heal and strengthen families and communities. My first guests are Katie Sanders, Executive Director of Safe and Sound, and Adrian Spencer, Drug-Free Communities Manager. Welcome to the show, Katie and Adrian. Thank you so much for having us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having us. We're happy to have you today. I'm always curious to know why people start a nonprofit or why they're involved with the organization. So what's your story, Katie? Yeah, so um, I grew up in the Sherman Park neighborhood and um, as a child was really familiar with the block watch concept and um, how residents work together regularly to solve problems um, together. And when my husband and I moved back to Milwaukee about 13 years ago, Um, our neighborhood did not have a block watch. We didn't have a neighborhood association. Our residents were really disconnected. So I started one and um, through that process ended up working with a lot of residents in the neighborhood, but then also with law enforcement to resolve some of the issues that we saw in our neighborhood. Um, Throughout the course of being the block watch captain and what people deemed the quote unquote neighborhood lady, um, (laughs) I became familiar with a lot of issues throughout the community and um, ended up working with Safe and Sound. Um, While I was an employee over at the Milwaukee Symphony, a fundraiser there, um, I worked with Safe and Sound as a resident and saw how the organization really brings together people to create effective solutions for the neighborhood specific to what they're facing and what the challenges are on each block. Um, So it was a really um, rewarding experience working with the organization as a resident. And so I came to work for Safe and Sound about five and a half years ago as a fundraiser and then stepped into this role a few months after that. And it's a really... um, It's a really rewarding position to be in because I can see on a day-to-day basis how our staff interact with residents and especially young people and help bridge the gaps that we have in the community with law enforcement and find place-based solutions to ensure high quality of life for our residents. And, you know, we often talk about uh, what you you hear, actually, in the news about all the problems, but we want to be solutions people, right? I mean, we want to make sure that we're bringing solutions uh, to the problems. And so it's, it's great that an organization like Safe and Sound exists uh, to in, order, in order to accomplish that. Adrian, what, what about you? What is your story? How did you come to Safe and Sound? 
Actually, it's not so different from Katie's. Um, I was a resident that resided in the Harambe neighborhood for about 20 plus years. Um, And I was... uh, Typical resident, went to work every day, took care of my kids, wanted to keep my head down and stay out of things as best I could. Uh, But when violence um, started to affect my particular home, um, I had to do more. Um, I always uh, volunteered in my neighborhood, did neighborhood cleanups, events for kids, just because I had kids um, and I wanted to have um, something safe for them to do. Um, But when there was a particular bar that was across the street from the home that I owned, uh, there was a lot of violence and um, just really um, nuisance activities that were associated with this bar. we began to work with a community organization, Riverworks in the Neighborhood, and Safe and Sound um, to really see what we could do to deter that action over at the bar. Um, and it took a really long time. It took a long time to get residents to be involved and to really speak up, um, including myself, you know. Um, and through that kind of process of working to get that bar shut down, um, it really provided an opportunity for me to uh, work with that local nonprofit first um, as an AmeriCorps member. Um, and from there, I was recruited by Safe and Sound um, to be a community organizer. So kind of the same um, the same footprints where Safe and Sound really showed itself to be an organization that was really focused on what the residents in the neighborhood needed and found ways um, that we could work together to get rid of those bad uh, kind of influences in the neighborhood. Did you find that once you stood up that others were more willing to stand up as well? Yes. Um, it was scary. Even for me as a resident, it was scary to uh, to take that first initial stand and say, I will be the block captain. I will speak out. I will go to a hearing. Um, it was frightening to do that at first, but by doing that, um, other residents saw what I was doing, and then they became involved in that process as well. So it became um, a little bit easier to get people to come out and to speak out, write letters to our older person, um, and really just be a voice within their own community for the things that was bothering them, that was a nuisance to them, but they were previously scared to talk about. Yeah, that was my thought. You know, if if uh, people think that they might be targeted, perhaps if they speak up, but once someone comes forward to try and draw out a solution or come up with some different ideas, then perhaps more people will. Is that what you find as well? Absolutely. It's a really important part of our strategy because once residents see that it's accessible and that they can be part of the solution, everybody wants to be. And so it's really about getting that first step done and that quick win for the neighborhood. And um, finding residents like Adrian who can take a leadership role is a really important part of how we galvanize um, community engagement. Okay. Well, your role sounds interesting, Adrian. You know, can you elaborate a little bit more on what a drug-free communities manager does? Yes. Um, so um, the drug-free communities manager position is very interesting. So um, it really evolves on the position of the community organizer and is really laser focused on substance abuse prevention and deterrence in young people from 6th to 12th grade. Um, so we focus in the 53206, 53208 zip code, um, working with young people in churches and neighborhoods 
students at schools um, and at youth serving agencies to to educate them um, on the dangers of substance abuse. Um, And specifically, we focus on marijuana, tobacco and alcohol for our particular drug free community. And what's amazing about this is we uh, coach and train these young people and then they in turn go out and do peer mentoring to young people within the community to let them understand um, why they should avoid um, interacting with these particular substances. Yeah. And then do you have interaction with the local police department? We do. Um, As a matter of fact, we just had a wonderful event um, supported by our District 3 Police Department last night um, where we welcomed about 120 um, families that came and um, did a movie night with us. So we have lots of interaction with the police department and our young people. Yeah, that's important. I think that's that's great to have that that relationship. Well, relations between our communities and the local police department is a very complicated issue. You know, I mentioned earlier about some cities that are in real trouble in this regard. Uh, but Safe and Sound works to bridge and facilitate these relationships. So how are we doing in Milwaukee? Stay tuned to find out. We'll be right back. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm sitting here talking with Katie Sanders and Adrian Spencer from Safe and Sound. I said before the break that Safe and Sound works to bridge and facilitate relations between the local communities and the police department. So we want to know how is Milwaukee doing? What would you say to that, Katie? Well, um, as you started the segment, um, community police relations is a very complicated issue. And Milwaukee, like many urban centers, is um, has its share of, of challenges. Our local police department and our community do have a lot of issues with trust. And that's one of the reasons why Safe and Sound's work is so important. Um, on a day-to-day basis, we work to build trust between residents within the law enforcement community and vice versa. So this everything we do is a two-way street. Um, residents need to be able to trust law enforcement, and law enforcement needs to be able to trust members of the community. And that happens over time and by establishing individual relationships and being able to communicate effectively and very important it's a very important thing that we do to um, create space for law enforcement and the members of the community to interact when it's not a moment of crisis. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it can't just be law enforcement responding to the scene of an incident and um, residents seeing that moment of crisis. Um, it, it's really important that um, both members of law enforcement and community see each other in a positive light and in positive scenarios and and doing positive things like the events that we hold um, throughout the year. And I was just thinking about that because, you know, you hear stories every once in a while about how law enforcement is involved in some challenge, let's say, and then they form a relationship with the person that or family that they were helping and it becomes an ongoing thing. And how once you have a a relationship and you nurture that, it's so much that communication is just so much easier to to stay open to. But um, so what does Safe and Sound do specifically then? Well, our mission is to unite residents, youth, law enforcement, and community resources to build safe and empowered neighborhoods. So Safe and Sound serves five of the seven Milwaukee police districts. And within those districts, we have priority neighborhoods where we do our community organizing and very focused youth programming. 
throughout the five police districts, our goal is to really understand what residents are facing, what challenges they need to address, and find the solutions that are most appropriate to them at that very moment in time. So it could be working with law enforcement, it could be working with one of the city or county departments, it could just be bridging gaps between residents themselves. But our goal is to understand what is it that they want, what is it that they want to do, and how do they get it done, but not having safe and sound do it, but rather working with residents to empower them, to encourage them, to engage them, and so that the at the end of the day, it's the, a resident-driven um, achievement, and that is the most sustainable way to change our neighborhoods. So we work collaboratively with um, youth, youth-serving agencies, um, city and county departments, um, obviously the Milwaukee Police Department and other members of law enforcement, and the goal is really to just bring everyone together and get everyone on the same page about what challenges are happening and how do we address them. And you said the key word before, and that's collaboration. Because again, we talk so much on the show about how we live in a very resource-rich environment. And there are so many opportunities out there for collaboration. Sometimes we don't do such a good job at you know making sure everybody knows what's out there. But our next guest, uh, Made a House, uh, I know you guys work with. So you're mm-hmm. out there, boots on the ground, figuring out what the needs are, and then connecting people to the resources, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And so much of the work that Safe and Sound does is around drug and alcohol prevention. And so um, while Meta House is on the treatment side of the um, AOTA problem, Safe and Sound is really on the prevention side. And so that drives a lot of our programming because so many issues we see in neighborhoods are related to either the drug trade or drug use. And so it's an important focus area for us. And Adrian, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was going to just mention that um, what really really is uh, unique about Safe and Sound is the time in, uh, that we put into knocking on doors and really spending time with residents to find out what those needs are within their communities um, and then being that connector to those different resources such as Made a House. Um, even myself as a resident, had I known some of the things that I know today as an organizer, I would have been able to remain in my home longer sure. because someone would have knocked on my door and provided me with resources that would have connected me to uh, housing information or to um Uh, to the city itself, you know, so that I would know what departments to connect to in order to make sure that problems were taken care of. And that's a really important service that we provide to both our youth and to our residents by knocking on their doors, meeting them where they're at, whether it's through a pop-up, whether it's at a community event or knocking on their doors directly, we're able to connect them with the resources that they may not even know exist within the community, but they're right there for the taking for them. Yeah. So now let's say somebody in your neighborhood, um, you know or you have seen that they're experiencing some kind of issue or challenge. Can Mm -hmm. somebody call and kind of do an intervention of sorts and say, you know, I see that my neighborhood, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, needs some help in this area, for example. Can someone go there and step in and help them? So that happens pretty frequently. Um, We get residents that are concerned about their neighbors that will give us a call and say, hey, can you connect me with um, this resource? Um, I have an elderly neighbor that may be suffering from dementia um, and there's no one to take care of her. Is there anything that's available for her? And we'll do the footwork to figure out who the right contact is for them and get that information to them. Um, Our organizers go out um, and they don't just knock on the door and leave. They are building relationships with these residents, building relationships with these young people and making sure that they get the help that they need. Okay. 
And um, we've spent a lot of time talking about the community organizing piece of Safe and Sound's work, but we have really on each in each police district a team of three staff members. One is a community organizer, really focused on adult resident engagement. One is a youth organizer, really the whole entire goal of that program is to find opportunities for young people to um, address issues in their community, to feel connected to their community, to be welcomed by the adults in their community, and to really show that they are positive leaders and, and the next generation of this community's leaders. So that's our youth programming side. And then we also have a program called Neighborhood Safety Coordinators. And these are staff members who work within the police district stations. And their job is to liaise between the community and law enforcement in many instances, residents are uncomfortable speaking with a uniformed officer, and so we can help um, ease that um, relationship. But then also that coordinator convenes a group of city and county entities to deal with nuisance property issues. So when we have a significant quality of life issue, a drug house or a bar, like um, Adrian mentioned in her case, um, we can bring together the members of the Department of Neighborhood Services and Public Works and the District Attorney's Office and the City Attorney's Office and all of these different entities that have different levers within the law enforcement community to resolve issues that are happening and um, ensure that residents can um, experience quality of life on their block. Wow, it certainly sounds like every neighborhood would benefit from a safe and sound branch. Um, are there other safe and sound locations around the city? No, um, safe and sound is unique in the country. Um, we are the only one that does what we do. Um, there are other organizations that do youth programming and community organizing, but there is not another organization that really combines safe and sounds three pronged approach. Um, we were founded 20 years ago um, by Senator Cole and um, uh, several other community leaders at the time. And uh, it's been a really wonderful learning experience in that a lot of organizations across the country look to us as the experts, which is cool. Yeah. Um, but we'd love to see more organizations doing the work that we do, how we do it. So if someone came to you and said, love it, want to replicate that program in another city would you guys say heck yeah we're you know we'll be happy to help you we'll go over there and help you out we or did I open a can of worms no we Maybe would absolutely connect them with our technical assistance program director who um, has helped other communities address specific problems um, our goal is not necessarily to have safe and sound branches all over the country but rather like our very organic and block by block approach um, different communities have different needs and so what we do is work with the community to address their highest priority. And so we've done that um, throughout the country and replicated parts of our programming as appropriate for those communities. Okay. Well, you guys are a shining example, that's for sure. So even though you're a Milwaukee-based organization, you've received national recognition, right? Yes. Tell us about that. Um, in 2011, Safe and Sound was um, named a White House Champion of Change Award recipient, which is a really quite an honor. Congratulations. Thank, Thank you. Yes. And then in 2016, we received the FBI Director's Community Leadership Award. So um, that was during my time with the organization, and I got to go out to Washington and receive that on behalf of Safe and Sound. And it was, again, a really wonderful honor to be recognized at that level. I didn't level. even know there, there was such a thing. There is, every year, <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So how does Safe and Sound measure success? So we measure success um, in all, everything that we do. Adrian's making a face at me because we do a lot of measurement. Um, <laughs> no faces, Adrian. No faces. <laughs> 
famous is radio. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, when we restructured the organization in 2015, we set it up so that we could effectively evaluate our programming. And one of the main factors that we use in evaluation is how neighbors feel about the neighborhoods they live in. And we do 2,000 surveys a year of all of our neighborhoods. And um, through that process, we're able to get a score through this validated tool that's very academic and nerdy, but um, it gives us a, a score for what we call collective efficacy, which is how residents feel about the communities that they're in. And um, we look to see, is that improving or not? And if it's not improving, how do we um, change course so that we see an improvement in that score? And already, um, so we restructured three years ago and after we had restructured um, and been working in this model for two years, we did an evaluation and had the medical college independently assess um, our scores and then taking into account crime rates and trends um, from MPD, the Milwaukee Police Department. And we found that in six of the eight neighborhoods we were evaluating, we saw improvements in collective efficacy in just that short period of time, which wow, is that's really outstanding. Yeah. So, yeah. And then on a, on a very regular basis, we evaluate all of our programming is sort of on a micro level as well. Okay. Okay. Well, for those listeners that may be in the neighborhoods that you represent, what would you guys say is your message that you really want to get out to them? I think the most important thing to recognize is that as a resident, um, you're supported. Um, Contact us, come out and join us for events, come out to community meetings. Um, we're looking for residents that want to step up and they want to make an impact in their neighborhood as well as youth. Um, we provide opportunities uh, through what they want to see happen in their neighborhood for them to make change. So if they um, contact Safe and Sound um, on our website at safeandsound.org um, or they come out to one of our meetings, they'll be able to connect with one of our team members and we'll be able to get started from there and they'll be able to see change. And it takes time but um, they'll be able to see change in their neighborhoods. Okay. Well, let us know uh, different ways that people can connect with you. So you've got the Facebook page, safeandsound.org. Is that correct? Our 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 website is safesound, one word, safesound.org. And then our Facebook page is safesoundinc. That's I-N-C at the end of safesound. Um, and you, if you just search within Facebook, Safe and Sound, you'll find us. Okay. So Safe and Sound is doing wonderful things. Thank you both for being here to represent uh, the organization. Thank you so much for having us and for, for doing this show in the first place. It's a really great um, addition to the radio community and to the, to the, for folks to understand what nonprofits are up to. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you again for sharing with us Safe and Sound, what they're doing to help make our neighborhoods more safe. So give them a call or visit their website at safesound.org to learn how you can get involved. So we learned that sometimes there are things that happen within the family dynamic, like drug and alcohol abuse, that contribute to this challenge of making our neighborhoods safe. So in our next segment, we'll talk with a nonprofit that's helping families with recovery and treatment techniques that will ultimately give them the opportunity to reclaim their lives and rebuild their families. Stay tuned to hear more. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. My next guest is Valerie Vidal, President and CEO of the Meta House. Thank you for being here today, Valerie. Thank you so much, Jill. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're happy to have you here as well. 
Your background is actually in law. In fact, you were a litigation partner at Quarles and Brady, practicing for over 10 years. So why the change in career? Yes. So as you mentioned, I um, was practicing at Quarles and Brady, which is a great firm here in Milwaukee. Um, thought I was going to spend the rest of my career being a lawyer. I enjoyed doing it. I was pretty good at it. Um, but my focus started to shift in about 2013. I had always been very engaged in uh, community service. I volunteered a lot. I did a lot of pro bono uh, legal work, and I did a lot of work with local nonprofits. But in 2013, two things happened in my life that really started to um, get me to think about what was most important to me. Um, the first was that I became a mom for the first time. Mm, I had that my, happens to change a lot of things, doesn't it? It does, yes. yeah. So I had my beautiful daughter in 2013, and unfortunately, just a few months later, I lost my mom to substance use. Mm, and I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. Um, those two things combined really, you know, caused me to like slow down and think about what were the things that were most important in life. And coincidentally, at that time, somebody introduced me to Meta House. Um, a colleague of mine was working there and she told me about the mission of Meta House and the work that it was doing to help women who were struggling with substance use um, get the treatment that they needed so that they could get healthy and return to their families. And so when I learned about Meta House, I said, sign me up. How can I help? And, um, you know, I, I served on the board for three years. And then in 2017, the stars sort of aligned. Um, the, the woman who held my position before me took on a new position, and it felt like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to follow my passion. Yeah, and you raised your hand and said, I'm your gal, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I said, please please consider me, yeah, yes. And, yeah. uh, and like I said, the stars aligned, and... Um, I, I couldn't be more happier to be really committing myself to do work that I care very personally about. Um, and I'm able to use my skills and my professional background to help an agency that I really I really believe in the work that they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, we talk a lot on this show about why people get involved with, with what they're doing. And it's obvious that if you have a passion for it, that you're much... Uh, you do a much better job. You know, you, you can align your passion with your skills and you are where you are meant to be, it seems like. Um, we know that substance addictions have been a problem in our community for a very long time. And so it's easy to see how and why there's a certain perception connected with it. But you want everyone listening to understand that there's a common misconception out there about substance use disorder. So what do you want to be sure people know and understand? Unfortunately, even though people are talking a lot about substance use now because of the epidemic that our entire nation is facing, there continues to be a lot of stigma around substance use. Um, you hear people still talk about it as um, as people making bad choices or that there's some sort of moral failing in people who are struggling with substance use. And And the truth is that Addiction is often a symptom of a larger problem. Uh, addiction is often just a symptom of a, an underlying mental health disorder. Oftentimes, it's people attempting to mask trauma. We see that in the clients that we serve. Over 80% of the women who come through the doors at Meta House have either suffered trauma or been the victims of some sort of abuse in their life. Mm. And so what we see is that it's not about choices. Nobody chooses addiction. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to throw away everything that right. I've worked for. Yeah, I don't want to, you know, nobody says I want to ostracize everyone in my family, jeopardize my life, my freedom. 
um, that's not a choice. Uh, it's it's often something that um, is an attempt to deal with other issues that haven't been addressed. And I know that that was certainly true for my mom. Um, and at Meta House, uh, what is what's really powerful about the work that we do is all of our treatment is done through a lens of being trauma informed and strength based. So that means that we are addressing everybody where they at, where they are at. So every woman that comes through our doors, we're trying to assess what that individual woman's needs are, mm-hmm. and we don't shame the clients that come through our doors. Um, if if they have a relapse or a lapse, we don't kick them out of the program. And instead, we're attempting to figure out what was the reason for the lapse. Mm-hmm. And, and how, getting to know them personally and finding out what they specifically need. Right. Because right? everybody is so different. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so all of our programming is really client-centered. We're trying to figure out what are what are the services that we can wrap around this woman and her family to get her well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I imagine part of that journey involves creative programs to help with their struggles, right? It does, yeah. So, um, and thanks, thanks for asking about that. So, um, the the services that Meta House offers um, really try to address the whole woman. So, we're really taking a holistic approach. Um, the treatment can be everything from one on one therapy to group therapy. We offer living skills, which can be things like cooking classes, parenting. We incorporate art therapy into our programs. One of the things that makes Meta House unique is that we offer, um, we're a smoke-free program, which makes us very different from a lot of other treatment programs. So we also offer smoking cessation to all of the women who may need that service. Okay. Well, 88% of of people in Wisconsin who suffer from substance use disorder aren't getting the help they need, unfortunately. So, in fact, Milwaukee County alone, there's an estimate of 27,000 women that are struggling, but only around 100 residential beds available. So stay tuned to hear how Meta House is offering a solution. We'll be right back. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and I'm sitting here talking with Valerie Vidal, President and CEO of Meta House. So Meta House has served 502 women and 264 children in 2017. Wow. That's like an average of over 60 people a month. That's really impressive. So what exactly do you offer to someone struggling with addiction or substance use disorder? So Meta House has three distinct levels of treatment. We've got a residential program, an outpatient program, and then we also have recovery housing. And I can tell you a little bit about each of those three programs. So a residential program is is really what it sounds like. It's intensive, 24-hour live-in treatment for people struggling with substance use. Currently, Meta House has 43 residential beds for women who are struggling. Um, what One of the things that makes Meta House unique is that women can bring their children with them to residential treatment. So, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, we, what we know is that... Um, Child care and being a mom can often be a barrier for women seeking help. Yeah. Women are always going to put their own kids, their the needs of their kids first mm-hmm. over their mm-hmm. own. And so 
by allowing women to bring children with them to treatment, we're removing that barrier and um, also enabling Meta House to assess the needs, not just of the woman, but the children that she's bringing with her to treatment. So they all stay together in the room? That's right. Okay. Yep. So we've got space where mom and the kids can sleep together. We've got some rooms where um, if mom's bringing more than one kid with her, um, we can we can accommodate that. So 43 residential beds and we can accommodate up to 15 children at any time in our residential program. Nice. Our outpatient program is is also what it sounds like. It's, um, it's outpatient treatment. So that's for women who are living elsewhere but still need the services of treatment. So they can go to one-on-one one therapy, um, group therapy, those are services that are often offered during the day. Um, women live off-site but then come to us um, for treatment during the day. And then our recovery housing is a, a component that we really think adds to the success of our outcomes at Meta House. Our recovery housing is 25 units where women who have 45 days of documented sobriety can live in a safe, substance-free environment. And what we know is that the early days of recovery can be really tenuous. And so having women who are in those early days live in a safe environment supported by other people who are also in early recovery can really help them have a lifetime of success and recovery. And they can help each other out and be each other's advocates and Mm -hmm. yeah, support system. That's right. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, so you had talked previously about a, a certain stigma that is associated with this, unfortunately. So is there a silver lining to people ta- actually talking about it? Yeah. So, you know, there there is a lot of talk now about the opioid epidemic and we're seeing it in every community, not, you know, not just in the cities, not just in rural suburbs, but really every community is experiencing some form uh, of this epidemic. And when I was thinking about coming here today to talk about it and to talk about the stigma, one of the things that um, that I thought about was an obituary of a young woman that was circulating recently in the news. Um, it, it was brought to my attention by one of our directors of our Meta House Board of Directors. And it was an obitu- obituary of a young woman who recently lost her life to a struggle with, with um, opioids. And I think the reason that the obituary got so much widespread attention in the mainstream media and on social media is because of the brutally honest way that the author of the obituary talked about her loved one. I believe it was the sister of the young woman who died who authored the obituary. And she talked about her sister not, not just as a person who struggled with substance use. She talked about her sister as... Um, a young woman who was artistic and who was a mom herself and who loved watching movies and who was a whole person. And she wasn't just the um, the unfortunate outcome of of using drugs. Um, she wasn't or defined by that substance abuse. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, it really resonated with me because I realized that you know, for myself personally, I wasn't as honest as I could have been when I wrote my mom's obituary. Mm. Um, I talked in my mom's eulogy about her struggles, but I didn't talk about what that struggle was. And I think that the reason I didn't do that is because I had been conditioned in my own family and I think by society to not talk about it. Mm. And so by not talking about it, we kind of perpetuated the stigma and um, sort of the silence around not talking about things that might be uncomfortable. 
And so in coming here today, I was excited to be able to, you know, share my own story about um, my experience and my family's experience with substance use. But to also kind of atone for our silence and, you know, hopefully stop perpetuating the silence. I think, you know, pretty much everyone has had somebody they love or somebody they know struggle with substance use. And if we can talk about it and we can start talking more openly about the root causes, um, getting people the mental health treatment that they need, addressing trauma, um, then we can really start addressing it as a society and not just on an individual basis. Yeah. I think what you said is key that we look at the person as a whole, right? You know, this is a person that has many things that make up who they are and the substance abuse might just be one small, tiny piece of that and how important it is for us to look at the whole person, as you said, and treat that whole person, but also to see and to to make other people aware of things that they may not be aware of, like the obituary you were talking about. She's a mother. She's caring. She's compassionate. She loved to do this, that, or the other. You know, I think it's it's so crucial that we're paying attention to the good things in a person because there are so many. If you look for them, they're there, right? right. Um, instead of focusing on the negative, you know, let's take a broader look and even to to dig deep, you know, you might say, well, this person is defined by this, but they really aren't. You know, again, look at all the different things that make up that person and celebrate those things. You know, right. I think that's that's uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's very, very important. So what would you say are the greatest needs right now for for Made a House? So as with any nonprofit, we are always trying to make all of the financial pieces fit together. Uh, Meta House um, is supported by both private and governmental uh, grants, and we also get um, support from foundations. But we also very much rely on the generosity of some of our individual donors. And um, as I mentioned, one of the things that makes Meta House unique is that mom can bring her kids with her to treatment. I think that's very, very important yeah, it's, and unique. Yeah. It, it's unique, and we know it really adds to the success, not just of the woman, but again, we're able to assess the needs of, of the kids who come come to get service at Meta House as well. Yeah, And I think also maybe the child sees that their parent has a struggle. And although at, at first glance, someone might say, I don't want my kids to see, you know, that I'm struggling in this area. But actually, I think that's that's a good thing to know that, you know, we're human. We all have challenges. You know, my challenges are different than yours. You know, everybody's got stuff, as we say. But for kids to know that, you know, people struggle, and right. that's just part of being in this world. And that if you reach out, and ask for help, there's plenty of people out there that are willing to step up and help you through whatever challenge you face. Right. Right. And the kids know, you know, the the, the kids that, that come to us, um, you know, they certainly know that their parents are struggling. And in fact, they may have experienced some trauma themselves as a result of mom's use. And so we've got an incredible team of child and family specialists who are able to really wrap services around those kids. But as a result, we're often in need of um, supplies for the children and babies that that stay with us at Meta House. And so we're always looking for donations of supplies such as formula, diapers, car seats, winter coats and hats for the little ones mm, as yeah, the temperatures start getting cold. Yeah. Um, 
but we're also regularly in need of items of comfort and necessity for the women that we serve as well. So toiletries such as shampoo, lotions, um, hygiene products, things like that um, that we need on a regular basis. So if um, the listeners are interested in how they can find more information about this, we maintain a wish list on our website, which is www.madeahouse.org. Uh, we also have a wish list on Amazon. So if people do a search for Amazon, and that can also be accessed through our website, we often maintain a list of just common supplies that we know that we need for our women as they come through our programs. Um, and then we also are the beneficiary of the Amazon Smile program. So as people who are as people are doing their holiday shopping or just their everyday shopping, you can designate Meta House as a beneficiary of some of the proceeds from your online shopping. Oh, that's nice. And that's easy. It's easy. It's you know, brainless. That's, that's yep. like a goodwill. You want to round up exactly. your, to the nearest dollar and you know people don't even notice it. So yep. yeah, and I think there's... Um, a, a way that corporations can come together, you know, around the holidays, people want, I, I realize that there's a need all throughout the year, but around the holidays, especially corporations are looking for team projects. Mm-hmm. So I imagine they can come together and do like a toy drive or some kind of donation uh, from that organization directly to Made a House. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so on our wish list, what we've seen is sometimes um, offices will get together and pool resources to buy things off of our wish list. I even know of one family who does that as part of their um, their holiday tradition for leading up to their the religious holiday that they observe. Oh, nice. They work with their kids to pick things off of a wish list to benefit an agency, which I just think is so neat because you're really teaching your kids kind of the pay it forward. Absolutely. And what it means yeah. to, to to give the gift of, of love. Yep. Tell us one more time the website and the contact information. Sure. Um, the website is www.madeahouse.org. And we can be reached directly at 414-977-5800 is our direct line. And uh, we can answer any questions you might have there. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. I want to thank my guest today, Katie Sanders uh, from Safe and Sound. And um, Valerie Vidal from Made a House. Uh, I also want to make sure that I mention Adrian Spencer, who came uh, as well from Safe and Sound. Uh, thank you all for, for doing what you do to bring empowerment to women and to our communities. If you'd like further information about the people or the organizations we talked to today, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com or you can call our office at 262 691 3200. You can also visit our website at ellenbecker.com and listen to past podcasts. You can ask Alexa uh, by simply saying, Alexa, play WISN AM 1130, or you can tune in via the iHeartRadio app. Join us again in two weeks as we talk with other inspiring guests who will share information about how they're having an impact and making a difference regarding issues that affect our community. We hope that this will inspire you to make a difference and get involved with a nonprofit in your community and bless someone in some way. Find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Have a great weekend.